We're on to season two, and if you haven't caught the season one recap, go back and listen to that. Josh and I will be right here waiting. Welcome into By Order of the Peaky Blinders, a spoiler-free podcast breaking down every single episode of the 1920s family gang drama on Netflix or BBC. I'm your host, Daniel Gilman. And I'm Josh Levy. This is episode one of the second season, and boy, oh boy, Daniel has a lot changed. Yeah, we're going to fast forward a few years, but first, before we dive in, take a minute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash peakypodcast. Go follow us on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. And now we are uh, happy to announce that we're on Apple Podcasts. You can go onto Apple, search Peaky Blinders, and click the subscribe button, or you can continue to do so on any of the many platforms that we're available on. Remember, you can send us feedback via email at bootpeakyblinders at gmail.com or by messaging us on social media. We'll be doing more of an episode overview starting now giving in our thoughts and maybe a few lines that we thought are our favorites. So let's dive right in. Episode 1, still titled Episode 1, as the description reads, When Birmingham crime boss Tommy Shelby's beloved garrison pub is bombed, he finds himself blackmailed into murdering an Irish dissident. Josh, what do you think? I do not like this. This gives way too much, it gives too much away, doesn't it? This one, right off the bat, if you read it before the episode starts you lose the first two minutes of it being like a crazy event because we're going to jump. You know, it doesn't talk about Grace's cliffhanger. And, uh, and that's how we're going to start. We're going to start with Grace's cliffhanger. I know, but like he murders an Irish dissident and the garrison pub is bombed. Now, wouldn't these two things be a better effect? Like it, it, there'd be more of an effect if, if this was a, a surprise. No. Yeah. I kind of like when it, it's a broad overview of everything that happens. Cause they don't really get into this, this description and the next few don't really get into everything else happening. I'll tell you that this entire season was written by Stephen Knight, the creator, and it was the and the entire season was directed by Cole McCarthy. As this episode, as I mentioned, Josh starts with a previously on showing Grace and Tommy's conversation at the end of the season one episode six finale, and then like no show I've ever seen, they mix the end of the scene in with a new bit of evidence showing us what happens with that gunshot as Tommy flipped the coin, and Josh, we see Grace pull up her purse and shoot Campbell, and boom, here we're off and running in season two. Yeah, I honestly love this. Like, I mean, the episode before, I thought that Grace was a goner. So when they when they pulled this uh, this spin zone over here, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. You know I enjoyed it. This episode was, was phenomenal. And, and I think the way that they used, you know, visual arts to intermingle a few things right off the bat, the first thing we see is red right hand starting to play and two women looking like they're strolling babies to a funeral. And instead of going to a funeral, they're blowing up the garrison with those two strollers that are used as bombs. And then we do see a funeral as uh, Tommy gives the eulogy to our guy. Our, we were just starting to like him and now Freddie Thorne's gone. He, uh, he didn't die via gunshot wound. He died of pestilence, which I googled and find out meant an, a fatal epidemic disease like the bubonic plague. So just like that, no more haircut thorn. Yeah, I was honestly surprised that Freddie got just ousted this early on into the show. And it was done It was done in a weird way. I mean, it almost makes you think, you know how sometimes when shows, uh, they just like want, they, like the, the actors get into disputes with the show, like Chef and South Park, you know, after the, after the Scientology episode. It almost makes yeah. you think that the actor who played Freddie Thorne and uh, Stephen Knight or the, or, or the show directors and the producers kind of got into a, into a tiff, but 
Yeah, it was just it was just out of nowhere. I was not expecting that. Yeah, I didn't do enough research into that. It was it had to have been that or a situation where maybe he had a, a conflict in scheduling and filming. Oh well, to each their own. We lose Freddie Thorne. Ada's now a widow with her son, and we go back to find the remains of the pub in ashes. Our guy, our guy's back, Sergeant Moss is uh, filling in Tommy with a little bit of information. It looks like he's starting to work for the Peaky Blinders now with the inspector gone. Tommy's going to write it off as a gas explosion, but then Polly sees confetti. So we know it was, uh, it was definitely not an accident, as obviously we saw those two women go and blow it up. So Tommy is instantly up to some investigating. He goes to that Black Lion pub where he met with IRA members last season. He meets with two higher-ups in the IRA, and uh, what they're going to do is they're going to blackmail him, threaten his family, and force him to kill a soldier, which obviously we found out in the description, or kill you know someone involved. His name was Duggan. We're not 100% sure who he is. He's a blacksmith. But now Tommy is back to essentially taking orders, and Josh, he hates it. Tommy hates it. Uh, he, you know, he, he seems to, to always be approached by these by these by these characters and always has to be you know giving in to 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 their demands and one thing that that i noted just just a personal thing he had when he has like the bag over his head and they take it off it it literally reminded of batman when he was playing the scarecrow and they had they had him like held hostage and they pulled they, they pulled the thing off his head it literally reminded me of it so i thought that was funny but tommy's not happy killian murphy obviously acted the hell out of the scene he was he was great the entire episode, especially when they let him out, Josh, and he basically exploded in that uh, that meat locker where everything was being held. Because now you're starting to see, and I think it's going to be a gradual slippage of Tommy's control of his life and, and the chess game that he's been playing. It looks like he's not necessarily calling all the shots now because then later in the episode, we see Tommy you know, start to regress, start to go back to Lizzie as, as a love partner and then eventually hire her. As the secretary, we need a new actor, though. We, we do get one change-up in actor, and I want to point this out. No longer are the uh, days of Alfie Evans-Meese as young little Finn. Now we've got a grown-up, Harry Curtin, who's trying to uh, fill, his, uh, fill his belt buckle as, uh, as Finn now. He's got a little bit of uh, peach fuzz on his chin, and he's trying to act like a big man. So, okay, we obviously fast-forward time here, but it couldn't have been that long. To, for this transformation, yeah, we went two years in the future. It says, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if this is two years in the future. Obviously, you know, it's it's hard to just accurately fast forward the future and switch actors like that. So, I mean, Finn. I mean, young Finn, younger Finn must have been in like at least like twelve or thirteen because older Finn looks like he's like fifteen or sixteen. His balls have dropped. Well, we, we figured out and we did a little bit of math. Remember, the dad, Arthur Sr., left 10 years ago. So Finn had to have been at least 10 years old. And so now, you know, new Finn, he could be 14 to 16, anywhere in that range. And we saw another fast forward in age and a change of actor in Winston Churchill, too, because he's going to talk to Campbell in this episode right, about right, right. You know, the fact that there's an undercover man and that undercover man is Tommy working with Campbell. And Winston Churchill has gotten... Uh, He's gotten fat. He's gotten older. He's painting a naked woman. There's there's a couple things that they did. You know, they, they didn't quite think about the liberties when they broke it down for us. And uh, in those two years, Josh, we see a brand new office for Shelby Limited, the uh, the corporation for Tommy 
Tommy's going to set meetings up this entire episode. We see him meeting with Sergeant Moss, trying to clear the streets. And in that meeting, we get word that Campbell's not dead. Instead, he is now the head of a secret department of the Irish desk working for the crown. He's got this wolf's headed, like, gold cane that clinks really annoyingly. And if it's possible, Josh, his evil level has risen as he kind of uses an operative for a for a cause it looks like and then he lets that operative die. He, his rage is 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 turning on to something else. It's a new beast, no pun intended from his from his cane and I was I was shocked when I saw him. I mean, maybe in hindsight I I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself for not th- thinking that they would bring him back and that maybe he wasn't dead, but I thought I was going to I mean, you saw how close Grace was when she shot him. I mean, I thought he was he was a goner. But, you know, as we learned throughout this show, not all gunshots are lethal gunshots. So Inspector Campbell is back, and he's back better than ever, and he he has his eyes set on one thing and one thing only. Yeah, he's going to use Tommy as this, you know, man on the ground in Birmingham to basically, I don't know, do whatever he wants. We're going to find out in the next few episodes exactly what he wants him to do. But obviously that final scene has Campbell saving Tommy's life, so he's got even more leverage over him. And, uh... And speaking of crazy and speaking of mad, Arthur, uh, Arthur has regressed. He has regressed back to what we saw Danny almost as in the beginning of season one. We see Arthur doing crazy amounts of jump rope. Arthur is, is not well at this point. It's clear that you know he's going through something. Right now, the entire family here in episode one, from John to Polly to Esme, they're all just a little confused, and they all want to you know, slow the roll on Tommy's accelerated plans for the future because Esme doesn't want to go to London. Arthur, it doesn't seem like necessarily wants to go to London. And John definitely talks about how they're making 150 pounds a day over the last year. So there's no reason, which makes a solid point. There's no reason to get greedy. Right. No, I mean, a hundred percent. I, the, the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So what, 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 what's, what's the reason? What, what's the point? They have everything settled here. You know, it seems like a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the bad stuff is in the past. So, I mean, we've seen a lot of time pass, right? So I'm assuming that, you know, it's been a pretty clean couple of years. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Tommy. And, you know, it's not Tommy, Tom, as, as smart and as sly as Tommy is, you know, he does have flaws. He, he's not always right. And I think my favorite line of the episode is going to come here in this, in this family meeting after and Esme talks about how London is just smoke and trouble. Basically, Tommy says... Quote, nine-tenths of what we do in London will be legal. Arthur has the rest covered. And it's just, it's going right back to that. Arthur is is Tommy's, right. he's his right-hand man. He's his older brother that he's going to unleash on the opponents. And Polly is the company treasurer. She's not happy about the move to London. It seems like Tommy is working all on his own here. And he's got his yes man in Arthur Shelby right on his side. Right, and Tommy, you know... He he drops his dick right out the gate, you know. Just as you thought, to, just as, just as you were starting to doubt him, he just points and tells them, you know, if if you if you want to leave, then leave. And he tells Esme, he tells John, he tells our, he, he tells him, go raise your chickens. And I and I I love that line. It's like you know what, if you don't want to be in this business, go raise your chickens. You know. Yep they they dirtied their hands, and then now they've there's no way to clean them. And you mentioned Tommy dropping the dick. He's getting a little bit of uh, he's getting a little bit of action because we see someone bent over getting fucked by behind, and it turns out that it's Lizzie Stark, that whore that Tommy used in season one, and then uh, you know didn't allow John to marry 
And then in the finale of season one, she was instrumental in the whole scheme they had with the with that was he a, a police officer, or a military man, someone with the crown, or what was it, an ambassador that Tommy ended up having to kill? And uh, and Lizzie is going to be Tommy's secretary because she knows how to type. Tommy obviously has an, an affection for her, and so that's a little bit of a, of a of a raise from being used as a whore. I'm honestly a fan of Lizzie Stark. I mean, she's 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 come a long way. She's pretty attractive. I mean, so I that's just that's just a plus, but. I'm I'm rooting for her, definitely. So the plan for Tommy is to pick a side between the Italians and the Jews fighting in London. Apparently they've been in war for six months, and Tommy wants to negotiate with the Jews who own Camden Town and begin a legal import-export business by using, obviously, the canalways in Birmingham and then using that, you know, import-export business maybe to hide illegal doings but whatever Camden Town clearly is an opportunity for him to store things and Polly uh Polly's a little hesitant here's another fantastic line Polly says that uh Tommy's mother always said that his cleverness will end up killing him and I'm a little worried at this point Polly might be not be the most clever person because this episode we see her try to find out if her daughter's still alive by going uh going to a fortune teller's place and then believing said fortune teller even though uh even though Esme uh, is not a fan, but I don't know. It's just, it's a weird little thing here where Polly's trying to lecture Tommy, but then the next scene we see Polly kind of falling into uh, naiveness. She's honestly a hypocrite. I mean, she, she says she says things and goes back on her word more often than not. And she always talks about common sense to Tommy and then she lacks common sense. So, I mean, she needs to, she needs, she needs to walk the walk, you know? Yeah, Esme ends up getting thrown up against the wall for calling out Polly and, and, you know, basically hearing that the gypsy woman was just boasting and lying to her and Polly swears her to secrecy. So Esme, you know, obviously a little bit shaken up. We'll see if she keeps that secret. And, uh, and you know, I want to I help you out here because we were talking about it and it was probably both of our faults, Josh. We're talking about Helen McCrory and how she's been in so much. She was in Harry Potter. She was the, uh, the half-sister of Dracoy Malfoy. Draco Malfoy in that. She, I think she was in three of those movies. So how about that? Talk about a Harry Potter type scene as she walks into that like foggy, weird looking fortune teller's place. That kind of remind me of some uh, some wizard vibes. Yeah, she she looks so familiar, and I finally finally clicked, and I was it. I looked it up, and I was like, oh my god, she was definitely in Harry Potter. And I also found out that she's married to Damian Lewis, who plays Bobby Axelrod in Billions. So. All these interwoven uh, comments that all these comments that, that we've been saying about about billions, and Game of Thrones, they're starting to they're starting to come all together. So it's 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 just funny. It's just ironic. That's great. Damian Lewis also the uh, the main male character in the uh, in Homeland. If you guys haven't seen Billions, so that's you know pretty right. noticeable of a uh, power couple there. After Tommy kills that man, Eamon Duggan, in a cool scene with uh, Danny Boy by Johnny Cash playing. That was. That was really interesting. It took a couple minutes for me to really understand what was happening, but obviously Tommy was, you know, filling out that hit ordered to by Irene McDonald earlier, the IRA woman. Tommy's headed back to Small Heath, and the boys are going on a holiday after uh, Tommy throws away Arthur's medicine, says he wants him fast, not slow, and the guys just uh, rip into John for getting whipped by Esme. And, uh, and now they're headed to London, Josh. And when they get to London town, all shit breaks loose. And also something I want to mention, since we just glossed over it, is that once Tommy handles the 
the business for Irene O'Donnell, he kind of mocks them for like what for for how they're handling things, and then like starts to reveal to her how much he knows about her. Starts pretty much like uh, telling her everything about her life, every little detail, and just showing how much he knows and how much how much homework he does on people, and basically not to fuck with him. But yeah, that was just something that I thought that was that was important because it shows that Tommy, even though in the beginning he was pissed and maybe was was on on the back of his heels. He's never on the back of his heels. Tommy is the chosen one, as they called him. And then he went on a nice little rant about, can the chosen one smoke? Can the chosen one do this? And the other guy just wanted to kill him. But obviously they needed him. And now the chosen one and his brothers get into this club in London that is playing just awesome, like scat, old-timey, Gatsby jazz. Arthur's calling it a freak show. The music sounds like a racket. We see cocaine being done for the first time. That might be... That, yeah, that might be something that, uh, that we touch on in Tokyo. a little bit. It's honestly, it's like these guys just showed up in a whole other world. And it turns out that it is Sabini's club. Sabini is one of, the, uh, one of the leaders in London. He leads the Italians. And as Sabini's men try to kick him out, this, I think, is a top, is a top line here, Josh. We have a few lines in this battle between the Peaky Blinders and the Italians as they fight. And then the Peaky Blinders, you know, talk about how... There's going to be a better future and things are going to change. And then eventually they leave the bar and talk about, you know, a feel-good scene for brothers watching them all walk into the street drinking and fucking around. But let me hear your favorite line in in this scene here. Arthur, you know, starts fucking shit up. And as he beats the shit out of someone, he goes, put some ice on him. Love that line. Throws an ice tray at them. and, uh, And John doesn't want to go anywhere right when they come up to him. He's like, we just bought a bottle which is like the ultimate rich guy move at a table in Vegas or you know in Barcelona or something where the second you buy a bottle, you think you have the full entitlement of the entire club. But now we know that the Peaky Blinders have been heard in London and we'll have to follow that. That's clearly one of the main storylines. We go back to Birmingham and see that Polly is just waiting for Tommy. Tommy gets back and Polly's pissed that he threw away Arthur's medicine and this is a sentiment right here that I think is going to hold heavy for us because Polly talks to Tommy about using his brother as that mad dog. And we see it in the beginning and we see it in the middle. And now we see Polly call out Tommy for it and then give Tommy a letter from the Jews saying, let us break bread together, which shows that Tommy has picked a side. It's the Jewish side, the Solomons, and he is now at war with the Sabinis as this, the episode ends with the Sabinis capturing Ada kicking her ass, beating up Tommy nearly to a pulp, and then Darby Sabini arrives. And you've got some opinions because you got you texted me multiple times when you just first saw this scene. Josh is just watching the show for the first time. I saw it a couple of years ago. And we see Sabini yank out one of his gold teeth, flexing his brain, like you said Tommy did to the Irish woman, saying, I even know what's in your mouth. And then as they get set to kill him, the police arrive. Campbell's there to save him. But Tommy is beat bad as the episode ends instant reaction here of of our of our criminal for this season darby sabini the italian mobster i hate sabini so damn much he's just like he honestly reminds me of billy kimber i kind of get them confused like to be honest because they both they both have that same like like scoundrel like like look on their face and yeah i mean I feel like in any TV show or movie that you watch, you know that the Italians are bad. 
any kind of Italian mafia mob like family, you know, they're powerful and, and they're bad, you know, and it's, it's not Tommy gets the shit beat out of him, man. Like he gets the shit beat out of him and just watching like, them take the pliers and take the tooth out of like, it's like one of his molars like in the back. And Oh my God, it was, it was, it was tough to watch, but there's just a lot that has changed, you know, and just in the, in the environment, you know, we we've never seen that that kind of scene like that that uh party scene before in in London and it just shows how different you know the world is outside of Small Heath and how how much there is a world outside of of, of the Shelby family and it's you're right it's like that Gatsby esque Gatsby esque feel smooth jazz everyone's dancing having a good time doing Tokyo and it's 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 it just like there's little things to show the time has changed you know that Stephen Knight does a very good job of. I love that scene. And I think the most important part of a TV show is the ability to build a world. And the world building here is fantastic for Stephen Knight to just barely expand it. I mean, we're going two hours south from Birmingham to London. And just like that, we now have a whole new landscape for this season. Now, some of it might take place in Birmingham, but you just know that London is going to be a central point, especially they talk about, we now know about London, the downtown area, and Camden Town, which is where the Peaky Blinders are going to try to set up shop with the Solomons. And we'll talk, obviously, a ton more about that. I want to add a new, uh, a new fun little segment to our, uh, to our episodes, and I'm going to call it Winners and Losers. Josh and I are each going to give one winner, whether it's a person or a principle or a mindset, and one loser for each episode. So, Josh, let me hear your winner and your loser for here, episode one for season two. Aside from Sabini having an upper hand, I'm not going to necessarily say that he's a winner. And this pains me to say this, but I'm going to have to go Inspector Campbell as the winner of this episode because he's got Tommy right where he wants, right where he wants him. You know, battered and bruised. He's in a new role. He's backed by you know Churchill. He has rage on his mind. He has one thing set in his mind, and, and you know, as of now, Inspector Campbell has the upper hand on him. So. I'm going to go Inspector Campbell as the winner, and I, I I have to say Tommy Shelby is the loser right now. This is one of the few times that we've seen him really, you know, just, you know, just get thrown to, taken to the woodshed. All right, my winner is Grace. We didn't see her in the episode, but Grace mm. didn't die. So just for that, right. we thought she was dead in the finale of season one. The fact that she didn't get shot, she came away as the upper hand in that battle with the uh, with the inspector, and so uh, Grace is my winner. I have to assume we're going to see more of her now that you know it seems like Tommy is just different without her, and Tommy's the easy loser. But my loser is going to be the casual dancers at the club in London, because <laughs> you, you just show up and you're ready to have a good time, and you might not even know who Darby Sabini is. You're just going to this club on a Friday night, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Crazy shit's happening. People are bashing bottles over each other and an ice tray is being thrown. So there's my winner. There's my loser. We'll be back for a fantastic recap of Season 2, Episode 2 coming up soon. Don't forget, you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at By Order of Peaky. And you can subscribe and follow on Spotify, on iTunes, on Anchor. We're on all over. Google Podcasts, whatever you can think of that carries a podcast. By order of the Peaky Blinders is there. 
And so if you want to send us some feedback, if you want to tell us who you thought won the episode or lost the episode, you could comment on our social media pages or email us at B-O-O-T, peakyblinders at gmail.com. He's Josh, I'm Daniel, and we binge so you don't have to. the stacks On a gathering storm comes a tall handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand
100%. 